Part two of Tea Drinking in Eighteenth Century America by Rodris Roth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The same pleasant social atmosphere seen in English paintings seems to have surrounded tea time in America, as the previously cited entries in Nancy Shippen's journal book suggest. Her entry for January eighteenth, seventeen eighty four, supplies a description that almost matches the Wollaston family a stormy day alone till the afternoon and then was honoured with the company of mr jones a gentleman lately from europe mr duponceur and mr hollingsworth at tea we conversed on a variety of subjects and played at whist upon the whole spent an agreeable evening tea was not only a beverage of courtship it also was associated with marriage both Peter Calm in 1750 and Moreau de Saint-Marie in the 1790s report the Philadelphia custom of expressing good wishes to a newly married couple by paying them a personal visit soon after the marriage. It was the duty of the bride to serve wine and punch to the callers before noon, and tea and wine in the afternoon no doubt make-believe tea-time and pretend tea-drinking were a part of some children's playtime activities perhaps many a little girl played at serving tea and dreamed of having a tea-party of her own but few were as fortunate as young peggy livingston who at about the age of five was allowed to invite by card twenty young misses to her own tea-party and ball she treated them with all good things and a violin wrote her grandfather there were five coaches at the door and ten when they departed i was much amused two hours tea seems to have been the excuse for many a social gathering large or small formal or informal and sometimes an invitation to drink tea meant a rather elegant party that is to say wrote one cosmopolitan observer of the american scene in the seventeen eighties the marquis de chasteleur to attend a sort of assembly pretty much like the conversazione social gathering of italy for tea here is the substitute for the renfesco refreshment a view of such an event has been depicted in the english print conversazione published in seventeen eighty two it is hoped that the stiffly seated and solemn-faced guests became more talkative when the tea arrived. However, this tea-party may have been like the ones Ferdinand Bayard attended in Bath, Virginia, of which he wrote, The only thing you hear while they are taking tea is the whistling sound made by the lips on edges of the cups. This music is varied by the request made to you to have another cup at tea-parties cakes cold pastries sweetmeats preserved fruits and plates of cracked nuts might also be served according to mrs anne grant's reminiscences of pre-revolutionary america peter calm noted during his new york sojourn in seventeen forty nine that when you paid a visit to any home a bowl of cracked nuts and one of apples were set before you which you ate after drinking tea and even at times whilst partaking of tea sometimes wine and punch were served at tea-time and in summer observed barbet marbois they add fruit and other things to drink coffee too might be served as the frenchman claude blanchard explained they the americans do not take coffee immediately after dinner but it is served three or four hours afterwards with tea 
this coffee is weak and four or five cups are not equal to one of ours so that they take many of them the tea on the contrary is very strong this use of tea and coffee is universal in america dealing with both food and drink at the same time was something of an art it was also an inconvenience for the uninitiated and on one occasion ferdinand bayard a late eighteenth-century observer of american tea ritual witnessed another guest who after having taken a cup of tea in one hand and tartlets in the other opened his mouth and told the servant to fill it for him with smoked venison while foreign visitors recognized that the greatest mark of courtesy a host and hostess could offer a guest was a cup of tea hospitality could be hot water torture for foreigners unless they understood the social niceties not only of holding a cup and tartlet but of declining without offending by turning the cup upside down and placing a spoon upon it the ceremony of the teaspoon is fully explained by the prince de broly who during his visit to philadelphia in seventeen eighty two reported the following tea-time incident at the home of robert morris i partook of most excellent tea and i should be even now still drinking it i believe if the french ambassador had not charitably notified me at the twelfth cup that i must put my spoon across it when i wished to finish with this sort of warm water he said to me it is almost as ill-bred to refuse a cup of tea when it is offered to you as it would be indiscreet for the mistress of the house to propose a fresh one when the ceremony of the spoon has notified her that we no longer wish to partake of it bayard reports that one quick-witted foreigner uninformed as to the teaspoon signal had had his cup filled again and again until he finally decided after emptying it to put it into his pocket until the replenishments had been concluded the gracious art of brewing and serving tea was as much an instrument of sociability as was a bit of music or conversation this custom received the attention of a number of artists and it is amazing what careful and detailed treatment they gave to the accessories of tea we are familiar with the journals newspaper advertisements and other writings that provide contemporary reports on this custom but it is to the artist we turn for a more clearly defined view the painter saw arranged and gave us a visual image sometimes richly informative as in tea party in the time of george i of the different tea-time items and how they were used the unknown artist of this painting done about seventeen twenty five has carefully illustrated each piece of equipment considered appropriate for the tea ceremony and used for brewing the tea in the cups held with such grace by the gentleman and child throughout the eighteenth century the well-equipped tea-table would have displayed most of the items seen in this painting a teapot slop-bowl container for milk or cream tea canister sugar container tongs teaspoons and cups and saucers these pieces were basic to the tea ceremony and with the addition of a tea urn which came into use during the latter part of the eighteenth century have remained the established tea equipage up to the present day even a brief investigation of about twenty inventories itemized lists of the goods and property of deceased persons that were required by law reveal that in new york between seventeen forty two and seventeen sixty eight 
teapots cups and saucers teaspoons and tea canisters were owned by both low and high income groups in both urban and rural areas the design and ornament of the tea vessels and utensils of course differed according to the fashion of the time and the various items associated with the beverage provide a good index of the stylistic change in the eighteenth century the simple designs and unadorned surfaces of the plump pear-shaped teapot in tea party in the time of george i and the spherical one seen in the portrait susanna truax mark these pieces as examples of the late baroque style popular in the early part of the eighteenth century about mid-century teapots of inverted pear shape associated with the rococo style began to appear a pot of this shape is depicted in the portrait paul revere painted about seventeen sixty five by john singleton copley and owned by the museum of fine arts boston the fact that a teapot was chosen as an example of revere's craft from all of the objects he made indicates that such a vessel was valued as highly by its maker as by its owner the teapot was a mark of prestige for both craftsman and hostess apparently the famous silversmith and patriot was still working on the piece for the nearby tools suggest that the teapot was to have engraved and chased decoration perhaps of flowers scrolls and other motifs typical of the rococo style the restrained decoration and linear outlines of the teapot illustrated in the print titled the old maid and the straight sides and oval shape of the teapot belonging to a late eighteenth-century child set of chinese export porcelain are characteristics of the neoclassic style that was fashionable at the end of the century tea drinkers were extremely conscious of fashion changes and whenever possible set their tea tables with stylish equipment in the prevailing fashion newspaper advertisements journals letters and other written materials indicate that utensils in the best and newest taste were available desired purchased and used in this country further verification of the types and kinds of equipage used is supplied by archaeological investigations of colonial sites for instance shards or fragments of objects dug from or near the site of a dwelling at marlborough virginia owned and occupied by john mercer between seventeen twenty six and seventeen sixty eight included a silver teaspoon made about seventeen thirty five and two teapot tops one a pewter lid and the other a staffordshire salt glaze cover made about seventeen forty five as well as numerous pieces of blue and white oriental porcelain cups and saucers such archaeological data provides concrete proof about tea furnishings used in this country a comparison of shards from colonial sites with wares used by the english and of english origin indicates that similar types of equipage were to be found upon tea-tables in both countries this also substantiates the already cited american practice of following english modes and manners a practice brissot de vaville noted in seventeen eighty eight when he wrote that in this country tea forms as in england the basis of the principal parties of pleasure tea furnishings when in use were to be seen upon rectangular tables with four legs square top and circular top tripods and pembroke tables 
Such tables were, of course, used for other purposes, but a sampling of 18th-century Boston inventories reveals that in some households all or part of the tea paraphernalia was prominently displayed on the tea table rather than being stored in cupboards or closets. A japanned tea table and china, and a mahogany do and china, both in the great room, are listed in Mrs. Hannah Pemberton's inventory, recorded in Boston in 1758. The inventory of Joseph Blake of Boston, recorded in 1746, lists a tea table with a set of china furniture in the back room of the house while in the closet in the front room were six teacups and saucers along with other ceramic wares the most popular type of tea table apparently was the circular tripod that is a circular top supported on a pillar with three feet this kind of table is seen again and again in the prints and paintings and is listed in the inventories of the period these tables, usually of walnut or mahogany, had stationary or tilt tops with plain, scalloped, or carved edges. Square or round, tripod or four-legged, the tables were usually placed against the wall of the room until tea-time, when, in the words of Ferdinand Bayard, a mahogany table is brought forward and placed in front of the lady who pours the tea this practice is depicted in a number of eighteenth-century pictures with the tea-table well out in the room often in front of a fireplace and with seated and standing figures at or near the table evidence of such furniture placement in american parlors is recorded in a sketch and note nancy shippen received from one of her beaux who wrote in part this evening i passed your house and seeing company in the parlor i peeped through the window and saw a considerable tea company of which by their situation i could only distinguish four persons you will see the plan of this company upon the next page in the sketch a floor plan of the shippen parlor we can see the sofa against the wall between the windows while chairs and tea-table have been moved out in the room the table is near the fireplace where Miss Shippen served the tea. In the eighteenth century such an arrangement was first and foremost one of comfort, and perhaps also of taste. The diary of Jacob Hiltzheimer indicates that in 1786 the first signs of fall were felt on August 1st, for the Philadelphian wrote, This evening it was so cool that we drank tea by the fire. In the south, as in the north, tea, or at the time of the American Revolution, its patriotic substitute, coffee, was served by the fire as soon as the first winter winds were felt. Philip Fithian, while at Nomini Hall in Virginia, wrote in his journal on September 19, 1774, the air is clear, cold, and healthful. We drank our coffee at the great house very sociably around a fine fire. The house and air feels like winter again. Tablecloths, usually square white ones that showed folds from having been stored in a linen press, were used when tea was served, but it is difficult to say with any certainty if their use depended upon the whim of the hostess, the type of the table, or the time of day. A cloth probably was used more often on a table with a plain top than on one with scalloped or carved edges. However, as can be seen in Family Group and An English Family at Tea, it was perfectly acceptable to serve tea on a plain top table without a cloth. 
apparently such tables were also used at breakfast or morning tea because benjamin franklin in a letter from london dated february nineteenth seventeen fifty eight gave the following directions for the use of six course diaper breakfast claws which he sent to his wife they are to spread on the tea-table for nobody breakfasts here on the naked table but on the cloth set a large tea-board with the cups some of the eighteenth-century paintings depicting tea-tables with cloths do deal with the morning hours as indicated by their titles or internal evidence as in the honeymoon painted by john collett about seventeen sixty in this scene of domestic confusion and bliss a tray or tea-board has been placed on the cloth illustrating franklin's comment about english breakfast habits cloths may be seen in pictures in which the time of day cannot be determined therefore the use of a cloth at tea-time may in truth have depended upon the hostess's whim if not her pocket-book in addition trays or tea-boards of various sizes and shapes were sometimes used they were usually circular or rectangular in form occasionally of shaped or scalloped outline some trays were supported upon low feet others had pierced or fretwork galleries or edges to prevent the utensils from slipping off wood or metal was the usual material although ceramic trays were also used at large gatherings a tray was often employed for passing refreshments a servant brings in on a silver tray the cups the sugar bowl the cream jugs pats of butter and smoked meat which are offered to each individual explained ferdinand bayard the principal use of the tray was of course to bring the tea equipage to the table whether placed on a bare or covered table it arrived with the various pieces such as cups and saucers spoons containers for sugar and cream or milk tongs bowls and dishes arranged about the teapot such tea furnishings of ceramic were sold in sets that is all pieces being of the same pattern newspaper advertisements in the seventeen thirties specifically mention tea sets and later in the century ceramic imports continue to include beautiful complete tea sets in the early eighteenth century tea sets of silver were uncommon if not actually unique though pieces were occasionally made to match existing items and in this way a so-called set similar to the pieces seen in tea party in the time of george i could be formed however by the latter part of the century the wealthier hostesses were able to purchase from among a most elegant assortment of silver plate complete tea and coffee services plain and rich engraved when of metal tea sets usually consisted of a teapot containers for sugar and cream or milk and possibly a slop bowl while ceramic sets such as the one seen in family group included cups and saucers as well while the tea-set illustrated in family group appears to have all the basic pieces it can hardly be considered a complete tea-set when compared with the following porcelain sets listed in the seventeen forty seven inventory of james pemberton of boston one set burnt china containing twelve cups and saucers slop bowl teapot milk pot boat for spoons tea canister sugar dish five handle cups plate for the teapot and a white tea pot value twenty pounds 
one set blue and white do containing twelve cups and saucers slop bowl two plates sugar dish teapot six handle cups and white teapot value ten pounds in addition the pemberton inventory lists a silver teapot and one pair tea tongs and strainer items that were undoubtedly used with the ceramic sets tea sets were even available for the youngest hostess and the several complete tea table sets of children's cream-colored ceramic toys mentioned in a boston advertisement of seventeen seventy one no doubt added a note of luxury to make-believe tea parties during playtime the pieces in children's tea sets such as the ones pictured from a child set of chinese export porcelain usually were like those of regular sets and differed only in size little miss livingston must have been happy indeed when her uncle wrote that he had sent a complete tea apparatus for her baby doll her doll may now invite her cousin's doll to tea and parade her tea-table in form this must be no small gratification to her it would be fortunate if happiness were always attainable with equal ease the pieces of tea equipage could be purchased individually for instance teacups and saucers which are differentiated in advertisements from both coffee and chocolate cups regularly appear in lists of ceramic wares offered for sale such as very handsome sets of blue and white china teacups and saucers or enameled penciled and gilt red and white blue and white enameled and scalloped teacups and saucers these adjectives used by eighteenth-century salesmen usually referred to the types and colors of the decorations that were painted on the pieces enameled most likely meant that the decorations were painted over the glaze and penciled may have implied motifs painted with a fine black line of pencil-like appearance while gilt red and white and blue and white were the colors and type of the decoration blue and white china was perhaps the most popular type of teaware for it regularly appears in newspaper advertisements and inventories and among shards from colonial sites concerning tea the abbe robin went so far as to say that there is not a single person to be found who does not drink it out of china cups and saucers however exaggerated the statement may be it does reflect the popularity and availability of chinese export porcelain in the post-revolutionary period when americans were at last free to engage in direct trade with the orient porcelain for the american market was made in a wide variety of forms as well as in complete dinner and tea sets and was often decorated to special order hand-painted monograms insignia of various kinds and patriotic motifs were especially popular a tea set decorated in this way was sent to dr david townsend of boston a member of the society of the cincinnati by a fellow member of the society major samuel shaw american consul at canton in a letter to townsend from canton china dated december twenty seventeen ninety shaw wrote except my dear friend as a mark of my esteem and affection a tea-set of porcelain ornamented with the cincinnati and your cipher i hope shortly after its arrival to be with you and in company with your amiable partner see whether a little good tea improves or loses any part of its flavor in passing from one hemisphere to the other appended to the letter was the following inventory which provides us with a list of the pieces deemed essential for a fashionable set tea table 
two teapots and stands, sugar bowl and dough, milk ewer, bowl and dish, six breakfast cups and saucers, twelve afternoon dew. Porcelain, however, had long been a part of China trade cargoes to Europe and from there to America. The early shipments of tea had included such appropriate vessels for the storage, brewing, and drinking of the herb as tea jars, teapots, and tea cups. The latter were small porcelain bowls without handles, a form which the Europeans and Americans adopted and continued to use throughout the 18th century for tea, in contrast to the deeper and somewhat narrower cups, usually with handles, in which chocolate and coffee were served. Even after Europeans learned to manufacture porcelain early in the 18th century, the ware continued to be imported from China in large quantities, and was called by English-speaking people China from its country of origin. Porcelain also was referred to as India China ware, after the English and Continental East India companies, the original traders and importers of the ware. Burnt China was another term used in the 18th century to differentiate porcelain from pottery. Whatever the ware, the teacups and saucers, whether on a tray, the cloth, or a bare table, were usually arranged in an orderly manner about the teapot, generally in rows on a rectangular table or tray, and in a circle on a round table or tray. In the English conversation piece painting titled Mr. and Mrs. Hill in their drawing room by Arthur Devis about 1750, the circular tripod tea table between the couple and in front of the fireplace is set in such a way. The handleless teacups on saucers are neatly arranged in a large semicircle around the rotund teapot in the center that is flanked on one side by a bowl and on the other by a jug for milk or cream and a sugar container. Generally, cups and saucers were not piled one upon the other, but spread out on the table or tray where they were filled with tea and then passed to each guest. End of Part 2